0: Welcome to AP GoPoCast from Whitman Hanson Regional High School in Whitman, Massachusetts. I'm history and government teacher Steve Botello. And joining me every episode are students from our Advanced Placement United States Government and Politics course to share their insights on current political news stories in these turbulent times. Student guests will discuss the facts and sources of these stories, make connections to our curriculum, and most importantly, share their own opinions on the big issues of the day. This is AP GoPodcast Season Two, Episode Three, recorded on January twentieth, twenty twenty-one. And today I'm joined by Aiden McKay, Aiden Miller, and Julia Benby. They're going to be talking to you about the inauguration and about fiscal issues. Okay, so let's let's get this rolling. We are recording here on. Oh, I should know the date. It's inauguration day, January twentieth, twenty twenty-one. Big day for us here in uh, American politics, and. I'm joined today by Julia. Julia, will you say hi?
1: Hi.
0: There we go. Uh Mr. McKay, will you say hi? Hi. There we go. And Mr. Miller. Hi. Misters McKay and Miller are both named Aiden, so I can't call them Aiden M and Aiden M. That'll just get really confusing, so I'm going to use their last names. And as we are recording on Inauguration Day, a couple of our hosts here are going to talk to us about issues around the presidential inauguration, and they want to educate us a little bit and maybe talk about why this inauguration that's going to be happening in about an hour and 20 minutes our time, how that inauguration is going to be a little bit different than the ones in the past. Uh, Mr. McKay, would you like to start us off and talk about some issues around the inauguration?
2: Sure. I mean, I think, like, from, like, watching what's happened so far today, it's just, it's so different than normal. Like, I remember, like, in 2016, like, around this time, like, the outgoing president and the incoming president would be together. They'd be riding to the Capitol together, I mean, that's, like, nothing like what happened today. Donald Trump's probably already in Florida, and... You know, Joe Biden is by himself without it. There's nobody in the National Mall. It's all flags. There's, I think, more security than ever. I think I heard somebody say there's, like, to get to the Capitol, you have to go through, like, four fences, multiple security checkpoints. It's just, like, different. I think that's really the word. And, like, strange. That's, like, what I kind of see from it.
0: I would I would agree with you. Uh, while you folks were in class today, it happened... Uh, boy, about an hour ago or so, uh, President Trump gave an, an outgoing speech, and I wouldn't have expected you to have seen this yet, uh, but it might be something you'll want to take a look at. He gave a little speech at Edwards Air Force Base sort of as a goodbye speech, and it, it wasn't filled with a lot of content. He talked about what he saw as his administration's accomplishments and thanked his family and his supporters, and it was otherwise pretty short, but as Aiden pointed out, it, very, very different. Julia, what did you want to say about the inauguration?
1: Um, I was going to kind of say the same thing that um, there's like twenty five thousand National Guardsmen like in the White House like for security purposes, and then there was also I had an article about um, twelve of the National Guard members were removed from like this task because they had like not really sure exactly what they like did but they had like inappropriate text and comment is what my article said about it and i'm not really sure if like anybody else knows more about it but i know that like you can see that like they really are taking this very seriously and like looking into like each and every single individual that's like there to protect probably because of what happened recently at like the Capitol and like the lack of security there so they're probably trying to like
0: make up for it now, I guess. Aiden, oh, Mr. McKay. Yeah, I think with regards
2: to that, I, I was just listening earlier and they said how Joe Biden most likely has a speech in his suit pocket in case like something like that occurs, like where there's a tragedy where he has to give it with like a moment's notice. I think they were talking, I think it was Bill Clinton had to do that in 1993 or maybe 1998, I don't know. But yeah, like that kind of plays, there's just so much security and there's so much like risk, well not really risk, but like uncertainty of what's going to like happen, if there's going to be anything at all, or if there's going to be like violence, maybe at the state capitals throughout parts of the country. It's just, yeah, like really
0: uncertain. Let's, let's hope not. But I, I do know that that is fairly typical for politicians, particularly presidents, to have backup speeches for certain circumstances depending on what an outcome might be. Um, Maybe one of the most famous was the speech that Nixon had prepared for the moon landing in case the moon landing didn't go well or in case something happened to the astronauts that he'd have the ability to give a a speech to the American people to try to heal. So I know that they've done that in a number of different times and occasions that presidents will have or particularly presidents, will have backup things that they need to say or might need to say in case of emergency circumstances. So what are some ways that you've noticed so far that this inauguration, even though it hasn't happened, we're kind of in the middle of this day right now, what are some ways in which you've noted it's different than what we would expect from past presidential inaugurations? Go ahead, Mr. McKay, what do you say?
2: Yeah, I think like the biggest, I, can't, I have it off to the side, there's nobody in the National Mall, like, on the big grass areas, normally you'd, like, look out and, like, I mean, I think 20, 2008 was the biggest one when Barack Obama was um, inaugurated. There were so many people, but, like, now it's just, I think they said over 200,000 flags and, like, maybe important people from Congress and stuff. That's really it. There's just nobody there. That's what I kind of take from it. There's nobody in D.C. that really shouldn't be there.
3: Mr. Miller? I think, like, the thing that's pretty different is um i've never watched an inauguration before and i usually don't pay attention to them but like it feels like this one is like extremely publicized and like everyone's watching it when like 2016 i didn't even like pay attention to when trump got inaugurated and knew it even happens when it did so that's that's pretty
0: typical uh in my student and teaching experience, I never saw an inauguration happen live in class, nor did I ever show one live in class until we got to 2008. And that was, of course, the historical significance of our first African-American president. So in that sense, that was history. And, And now because I teach primarily U.S. history and government, if I did have students today, I'm certain that we would tune in because of the The importance of this inauguration and the strangeness, like Mr. McKay pointed out, how different this is with almost nobody there. There are also a lot of other traditions that happen between presidential administrations, between the successor and the previous president. Uh, These are not things that are required by law, but traditions that they tend to do with and for each other. Uh, Did anybody happen to come across any of those traditions? Mr. McKay,
2: um, I think it's been like piloted a lot. The note that the president usually, the outgoing president usually leaves in his desk. I think they there was a lot of uncertainty whether President Trump was going to leave it or not. I think they said he did, but like it's a really important piece. Like that's really the first thing that the new president looks for when he steps in the Oval Office is like a note, kind like, of, basically welcome him to the next four years
0: of being the president. Yeah, we've noticed that modern presidents have tended to do that. Uh, again, it's just it's just tradition. We'll often see the president and first lady welcome the new president and first lady to the White House, and sort of a ceremonial uh, changing of the of the residence. We think about the White House in its political. Use, uh, particularly the West Wing and where the Oval Office is, but the Executive Mansion itself, where the family lives, there has been typically in your lifetime and in, in your lifetime and in mine, a handing over of the household from one family to the next, and that's not happening this time around either. So the Trumps are not going to be hosting the Bidens. And that, again, that's entirely the president's choice. We've seen this happen a bunch of times in American history where incoming and outgoing presidents will change traditions the way that they want to. Your very first changeover of power looked kind of similar to this one. When John Adams left office and Thomas Jefferson showed up, you had one president and one political party taking over for an entirely different one. And John Adams, very similar to what President Trump did today. He left the White House early and did not attend. And uh, Unfortunately for Adams, that was a, a lot of bitterness and anger toward the new administration and his his role in the presidency being taken from him. So I, I wonder if there's some similarity there. Yeah, Julia, what do you want to say?
1: I was just going to say that um, the last president to not attend the inauguration was Andrew Johnson. and. He would kind of also be bitter like Donald Trump because he was like really unpopular within his own party. And when he was running for re-election, I'm pretty sure he didn't even get his own party's nomination. So I guess it's kind of similar to Donald Trump because in like the days after the election, I guess, a lot of people within his own party started like speaking out against him. And like the things he said, especially with like what's happened recently, a lot of the parties like been not backing him Whereas like I guess a year ago like their entire party was really like no one ever said anything bad about him but now they're kind of like turning against him which is kind of similar to see like because the last president to not do it they kind of had like similar reasons I guess not to. Hmm.
0: Mr.
2: McKay? Yeah, I think when you said about um, like his party's kind of not backing him anymore I think that was pretty highlighted. Mitch McConnell, I don't remember, I think it was this week he gave a speech in the Senate about how you know, like the January 6th was kind of provoked by the president. And even today he chose to go to church with Joe Biden instead of being, I think he was off, I think he was going to be at Andrews Air Force Base with Trump to listen to his final speech, but he chose to go to church. So I think like that's pretty apparent with a lot of, you know, reps and senators. They're just kind of like going away because I mean, he, his presidency is done. So there's really no need to back and just kind of like leaving him pretty much.
0: Yeah, um, to his to his credit, um, the president when he gave his remarks earlier today, it was a, a fairly it was a positive speech, looking back at the positives and looking forward, uh, and didn't really bring up a lot of that divisiveness within his own party. He did indicate that he wants there to be more to his political story, and we'll we'll see what that looks like. But yeah, it's a good point, uh, Aiden that we have these traditions like going to church on the morning at the national cathedral the morning of the inauguration and how these political officers who are in the opposite party of joe biden are also going to show up at that event because it is again it's tradition and washington dc loves its tradition did anybody want to say anything else about the inauguration given of course it hasn't happened yet we still have a little bit of time is there any other observations anybody wanted to make mr mckay
2: I think this is kind of tie into the next topic, but I think what's going to be really important today is Joe Biden, his speech after he gets inaugurated, like highlighting what he's going to do. I think it's going to be really important to like the people to kind of see where he's going to focus his plans. I mean, over at least the next 100 days, I know he came out like a hundred million vaccines in a hundred days, but I kind of want to see what else he's like putting forth that he's going to do. So I think that's going to be like a really important part of the day.
0: Yeah. And when we listen to presidential inaugural addresses, Some of them have gone down in history as being historical documents and very, very important, but many of them turn out to be hopeful predictions. uh, What we would like to do, where we have come from, where we're going to go to. It's almost like a State of the Union address in that it's the president's reflections on where we've come from, where he'd like the country to go. but. Very often the things that presidents want to do in their inaugural addresses are not those things that actually happen. But you will definitely see a more typical inaugural address this year than what you did four years ago. And uh, when we get to study the presidency later on this year, we're going to take a look at those inaugural addresses. President Trump's inaugural address was unique in how different it was than his predecessors and what we would expect. Let's switch gears here. Uh, Mr. Miller wants to talk to us about something a little different and wants to talk about some fiscal stimulus. What did you want to say, Mr. Miller?
3: Yeah. So the article that I'll reference is like a New York Times article titled Why Markets Boomed in a Year of Human Misery, which um, I think confuses a lot of people because the stock market seems to just like keep going up when like the wealth of, like, normal Americans is just staying similar. And the article kind of references a lot of the things Congress has done. Not that they weren't good or bad, but Congress really stepped in to kind of, like, provide a big cushion for um, workers. Um, For, like, example, the total employee compensation was only down, like, half a percent, which is really, like, good for a recession. Um, And that was large in part due to the CARES Act. Which, um, which originated the, the stimulus checks and the unemployment insurance, which have proved to be pretty successful in, like, helping Americans stay on their feet. Um, so, yeah, obviously with Joe Biden taking office, um, the Democrats clearly have um, more of an itch to just spend money than the Republicans do. So maybe the CARES Act was responsible for, like, the despair we see in, like, wealthier Americans and poor Americans, so maybe more spending necessarily isn't good if it isn't accompanied by maybe, you know, stricter tax policy on the wealthier Americans.
0: So you want to see if we're going to have now a Democrat president and a Democrat-controlled Congress that you're predicting, as you say, they're going to have an itch for spending, you want to see a balance to this you want to see more spending but you want to see better tax revenues more tax revenue
3: definitely i think um i think they're going to spend no matter what which is really good i think bringing back higher unemployment insurance and the stimulus checks are really good but the problem was the trump administration was really like laissez-faire with the tax for you know richer people so i think if you're going to spend the money i think it would be Worth, can like, worth considering like how we can get some of that money back Because clearly wealthier Americans benefited extremely well by this whole crisis and haven't really paid for it. So I think um, it might be wise on the Biden administration's part to raise the top income tax bracket, um, or even you know, redo how we think about capital gains tax. Hmm. So this, you brought up a lot of issues
0: there. Now, when I listened to the president earlier this morning, he touted as one of his major accomplishments his tax cuts. And he also pointed out that he had more Americans vote for him than any other sitting president in the history of the United States. And both of those things are true. So he had this tax cut and that led to more people voting for him as a sitting president than ever before. So could we make the correlation to suggest that tax cuts and popularity for the Republicans are united together and if that's true if Joe Biden and a Democrat Congress seek to raise taxes what's gonna happen to their popularity it's it's tough to say um Trump definitely did
3: cut taxes and I think I think cl- I think it hasn't worked because clearly income inequality hasn't improved with anything so but like I obviously don't think that like we should raise taxes a ridiculous amount but i i'm just saying that maybe we should maybe maybe we should figure out a way to like have the wealthier americans you know be responsible for like how how much they've benefited
2: off of this crisis hmm.
0: mr mckay what did you want
2: yeah say? i think when we're talking about raising taxes and spending i think the tax thing what's as important or almost more important than the way you raise them is a lot of like the way these people benefit, it seems like, is within the tax code. They find loopholes to sort of, you know, like have, they have deductions. So I think that's almost more important than like the way the income tax brackets go, uh, like controlling these loopholes to like limit wealthy people's ability to almost like allow money to be basically untaxed. If that makes sense. Mm hmm. Julia.
1: Yeah, something like what Aiden McKay was just saying is that if you raise the taxes for the rich people, I feel like you also have to kind of worry about all the, like, loopholes, like Aiden was saying, of how they're going to find the ways to not pay these higher taxes, and that could outcome in something worse. Like, I don't know, like, exactly how they do it, but I feel like they could, like, support other things that in, like, the long run wouldn't be as good as... Like, I think they should raise the tax, but they also have to just be careful about what the really rich people are gonna do in order to not pay it.
0: So you're emphasizing the control over the loopholes and closing tax loopholes instead of necessarily raising taxes. Mr. Miller. I'm sorry. (laughs) I was just agreeing with you. (laughs) I apologize. Mr. Miller, what did you wanna say?
3: Yeah, I think the loopholes are a concern. I think a tax policy that's often proposed is like a wealth tax. That directly targets like really wealthy americans and i think i've like heard a couple things like about taxes like you'd have like a one-time tax on everybody so like somebody like elon musk would pay a one-time like really high wealth tax so like instead of if you have like a wealth tax that's like year over year they have like time to like figure out what to do but if you just surprise them with a one-time wealth tax you're not gonna have to worry about them like moving all their money like some random country, so they don't pay the taxes
0: you want to catch them before they have the chance to offload their cash
3: I think it would be smart because I think most I don't think like the people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk would necessarily try to do that because they're pretty large public figures but like the people with you know net worths in the hundreds of millions I think are probably the people who are more likely to try to hide money interesting Mr. McKay
2: yeah, I was actually going to say, I think that would be, like, if you raise taxes like that, that would really be an issue of people moving money offshore. To I think you'd kind of see that be more apparent with their money. I think they try to do that just to, like, really avoid them. Because, I mean, I'm, there's certainly been people that
0: have done it. Julia, have you done that? Have you moved your money offshore to avoid tax liabilities?
1: Not recently. Okay. (laughs) But um, I actually just found this article that kind of like links both of our topics together. And it was about how um, on Tuesday, so yeah, this was written yesterday. So on like Tuesday, two days ago, uh, there was a court case about the Democrats suing the Treasury Department to hand over Donald Trump's personal business records over the last six years. So... I think if they do like hold Donald Trump responsible for like the things he's done with his taxes and stuff like that that could also be good like to see that there are going to be like consequences to these really rich people who are like going to try and do things like avoid the paying these taxes for richer people so I just I just found that. I thought it was like kind of nice to bring our two topics together. <laughs>
0: that is interesting. Um just curious uh When we talk about tax loopholes, because obviously it's not written in the law as a loophole. These are written into the tax code as advantages for certain people. They don't just apply to what we would deem as the rich. You three are living loopholes. Did you know that? So all three of you are tax deductions available to your parents. And because of your existence, your parents are able to deduct a couple of thousand dollars every year. So they'll get some money back on their taxes or it will reduce their tax liability because uh, you are a dependent. Do you think those loopholes or advantages, deductions, do you think those should be limited for everybody or just for the wealthiest? And if it's just going to be for the wealthiest, who are they? Is there a cutoff point for you in, in your wealth meter? Mr. Miller, what do you think?
3: I think the child loopholes aren't like anything to worry about. I think it would be like um like how people move money and stuff like that. Because obviously, like you like you said, tax loopholes are like in the tax law, so like you'd kind of have to rewrite the tax law. But um I think obviously blocking loop, loopholes are so complicated because like as we, we got um, Donald Trump's tax returns and like he paid like a couple hundred in taxes but like we also know that he has like a lot of like pretty unsuccessful businesses is one of the rules you can do is you can carry over losses from a previous business year and not pay taxes that year so like I'm not sure if that would count as a loophole but oh, I yeah. think when I talk about um, like holding the rich more accountable is like directly related to the financial markets because I mean whatever you look at whatever stocks most of the really wealthy people that's where their money is coming from and like also also people like i don't i'm sure you have some sort of retirement plan where you own stocks as well but um raising capital gains tax i think on like the rich who own like a vast majority of you know the stock stock wealth would probably help even more than closing tax loopholes
0: so those people who are wealthy enough that they are benefiting from their investments. So if you have certain types of investments, the income that you get from that investment isn't deemed income by the federal government, not in the same way that your paycheck would be. So if you have a paycheck and you have a salary, then you have to pay income tax on that. But if you get income because of an improvement in an investment, say on the stock market, as you guys have pointed out, but that's not taxed in the same way. Would you like to see capitals, get capital gains taxes change so that they are at the same rate and level as income taxes? Or do you want to see the two of them brought closer together, like bring down capital gains and bring up income tax levels, or get rid of capital gains altogether and just call it income and tax it as an income tax? What do you think, Mr. Miller? Um, it's tough to say. I think the income
3: tax is can find where it's at, but um, obviously capital gains is like taxed weird because it depends on like how many trades you make. So like, I think the lowest you can pay is like twenty percent. So I think like raising that to like something like thirty percent and like moving all of the brackets up as well. I think that would work.
0: Interesting. Oh, that's, certainly that's a mystery that no one has been able to solve and try to figure out how we could if at all simplify the tax system but we've heard a number of plans of that in the past and they just haven't seemed to gotten very far anybody else want to add anything else to our conversation about our our fiscal stimulus you want to say anything else about the inauguration anything about anything at all yes mr miller
3: I just like have a question like want your opinion on it. What do you think of like all like the b- political blacklisting and like how companies are just like not funding any of the republicans anymore who like voted on that? Cuz my dad's company like made an announcement so that they're just pulling funding from like everybody.
0: Wow. Well, my first reaction is it's going to be temporary that this is very typical that we see in in a market economy like ours, where politicians rely so much on donations and elections are getting so expensive, it costs over a million dollars just to run for the House of Representatives, for goodness sakes, um, that money plays a really big role and that as a result of a Supreme Court decision that we're going to investigate later this year, the Citizens United case, money especially large donations are playing a bigger and bigger role in politics. And this is a way that corporations are exercising their free speech. That was one of the important results of the Citizens United case was the Supreme Court really affirming that money is speech, especially for bigger corporations. And this is how they want to do it. Uh, I would be very surprised to see if these corporations that have pulled back their spending are going to do that on a long-term basis because they they understand they're going to need help and assistance from members of congress and from other elected officials in order to get what they want passed as policy so they will likewise be contributing again and and also unfortunately the role of dark money so some of these companies have certainly pulled back their outward donations but are they donating behind the scenes to political action committees where they can do that without having to declare it publicly Mr. McKay, what did you want to say? Yeah, I think how you said about the way
2: corporations are kind of backing off of Republican donations. I wonder, I'm kind of interested to see if it'll go as far to affect Republicans into 2022. I don't know about 2024, that's pretty far away. But I think 2022 is going to be a big year for mainly, I mean, the house seems to be getting like the margin between Democrats and Republicans is shrinking. So I'll be interested to see if that kind of, the money and like the loss of it almost in the past two weeks kind of continues on and plays a role in 2022
0: Yeah, we'll see it like like i said i i think it'll be surprising if these donations stay low for the foreseeable future that may just be a reaction to a specific event and to specific individuals specific congressmen and obviously uh, president trump and his campaign and donations shrinking to those right now it's a reaction to a a current event anything else all right great job folks gentlemen lady thank you very much for your contributions i appreciate it